Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Talk about this in two different facets, one of them being dead faith and one of them being living faith. And so today, uh, to get started, we're going to be talking about dead faith. I believe that each of these revolve around a simple but a very straightforward truth, succinctly stated. I believe not only does James indicate this, but I believe that we find the central truth or vein of this truth running all throughout the Word of God, and that is this, that what we do reveals who we are. Amen. What, what we do, not what we say, but what we do, what, uh, the actions of our lives, not just at church, not just here and there, but what we do is a, re- uh, is a revelation or a revealer of who we are. Transforming faith always produces some manner or measure of good works. One man stated it well when he said, it cost us nothing to become a Christian. It cost nothing to become a Christian, but it cost everything to live as a fully committed one. Amen. You can come because salvation is free and it is available to whosoever will. And so it costs nothing to become one. But if we're going to be a fully committed child of God, that's not just going to cost a little bit. It's going to cost everything. And I want to be willing to pay that everything price. And in the process of that, um, we are going to bear fruit. And if we don't bear fruit of of what in our lives, of what our lips proclaim, then there is something horribly, horribly wrong. James 2 and 14, we'll begin at verse 14. James asks this question, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath, have not works? Can faith save him? Or can faith alone save him? So we start our discussion on faith in James with a simple question. And that question is, what use is it if a man has faith, but he doesn't have any works to back up that faith or to back up that statement? And so the issue here is that the man in question or the person in question in in the illustration of James has no works. No works. Now that word works is not specified here in James's writings. Amen. So he doesn't say he doesn't have a work of this or a work of that. It's just a blanket statement that there are no works. And so the obvious meaning is the lack of righteous behavior conforming to God's word in their life. There's something that's missing. There's fruit, perhaps another word to use that is missing. So this individual's life isn't bearing the kind of fruit that, that a child of God says that it should bear or that the word of God says it should bear. So we get a glimpse into the kind of works that James means uh, from reading the whole book of James. And so from the time this series started, I have 
admonish you, if you would, to read through the book of James. It's a very, very quick read, and uh, that would familiarize uh, yourself with the, word, with the word that we are studying here today. And so when we see those things that James begins to mention, uh, we find all of them in the entire book, but we're only in the second chapter. And we've already seen just in the second chapter up to where we are that a Christian should have certain works present in their lives. Some of the things that James has already mentioned that should be evident in our life are things like endurance in chapter one. Very early on, he talks about endurance. He talks about uh, very kin to endurance is the perseverance under trial and temptation. How do we respond to the things that try us and tempt us in life? In, again, in chapter one, he talks about the purity of life. He talks about obedience to the word of God or to scripture. He talks about compassion for the needy. And he talks about, as we did in our last study, the sin of being partial. And so there's a, there we find impartiality in the hand of God and the work of God. And so the question that James asks in regard to this faith without works discussion is this. And this is the question that I pose for all of us today, not me alone, but with James and the word of God. Can faith alone save us? Now, James is making a solid point here, and I think it's a point that's important for all of us that a profession of faith is devo- that is devoid of righteousness or righteous works can't save a person. There's going to be something in our life that bears fruit, that bears witness to what we proclaim. So no matter how strongly we proclaim something, if, if it is devoid of righteous works, then it has no value. That faith, amen, faith that's genuine, faith that is real, will inevitably produce good works. If you drop a good seed in the ground, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen. You don't have to go by and encourage it every day. You don't have to say anything to it, but that seed is going to do what that seed was intended to do in creation. You can always tell genuine faith by the works that it produces. Amen, you can tell a believer by the fruit that's in their life. There's gonna be something, we've all met people that you just feel something about them when you meet them. There's just something pure, something real, something rich about them. I think it's safe to say that many in this building have been approached by others that say, I just feel something different when I'm around you. I don't think that's your perfume. I don't think that's your cologne. I think that is the spirit of the Lord that is alive and and at work that's moving in our lives. And so you can tell by the fruit that he bears. And so let's just explore this for a few moments. Paul is adamant in his writings that salvation is by grace working through faith and that it is not of works. Paul says, lest any man should boast. So I want us to look at these what may seem like right now opposing views. Romans 2 and 6, he said, who will, render, who will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, 
but glory and honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. If we were to drop down in that same chapter and go down a few more verses uh, down into, I think, around verses 13 to 16 or somewhere in there, uh, Paul continues on with this thought for just a little while. But James is not in conflict with what Paul is saying here. And this is the point that I want to make. James is not in conflict with Paul about the basis of salvation. They are not, if I could draw a word picture in your mind today, Paul and James are not standing face to face confronting one another, but they are standing back to back fighting two common enemies. Amen. Paul opposes works only, amen, lest that we would boast. Paul is opposing that uh, this one side of this, amen, and because Paul is opposing that because he understands that that's going to lead to legalism, or it already had, in many cases, led to legalism. James is opposing that it's just faith only without works because that leads to um, maybe not a real word, but easy, easy believism. Amen. Just whatever. Just just whatever. You just you just believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. And so James and Paul are not fighting each other, but they are confronting a common enemy. And both men are making it clear that we are going to be judged on the basis of what we've done. Amen. This is a sure indicator of genuine salvation. Paul defines in the clearest possible way that the prop, he, he defines the proper relationship between faith and works. He declared this way, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But Paul immediately adds, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Then again, in Titus 2 and 7, he says that in all believe, that all believers are to show themselves to be an example of good deeds. And so I believe that Paul and James are fighting for the same thing. One is guarding against uh, legalism, the other guarding against easy believism, so to speak. Amen. But understand that both of these men comprehend that faith is an essential part of salvation, but faith will always manifest itself by obedience. If you believe that you ought to be in church, you'll be in church. Amen. If you believe that you ought to serve the Lord, you'll serve the Lord. There's going to be something that follows our belief system. Genuine faith is more than just saying that you believe in Jesus and make him your personal Lord and Savior. The writer of Hebrews in this famous faith chapter in chapter 11 details genuine faith for us. Many of us could quote this today. Hebrews 11 and 6. But without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those, of them that diligently seek him. Amen. Without faith, it's impossible. Genuine saving faith believes that Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior. Hallelujah. Amen. But it also believes that he rewards those that diligently 
seek him. The rest of the chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, the rest of the chapter is filled with examples of great men and women who did not just proclaim their faith, but they exampled their faith. Amen, by faith, Noah. Amen, by faith, Samson. By faith, on and on and on. Every man or woman that is mentioned in this by faith chapter is not just talking about their faith, but we also have a record of their works, their actions and what they did. Amen, they displayed that without exception. Without exception, those that are mentioned in Hebrews, their faith led them to obey the word of God and they did exactly what God asked of them. Amen, even when they didn't fully understand it, even when they didn't fully comprehend it, amen, even when it was very, very inconvenient, they walked by faith. And so there was this faith and works that was working together, walking together. Genuine faith believes more than just God is. Genuine faith believes that by obeying God's word, that's where you're gonna discover God. We're gonna have to obey that unction that we felt and feel in our heart. Those that feel the call of God, the pull of God. At some point, we gotta rise to that calling. And we gotta obey that pull and that yearning in our heart. And so I'm thankful for that. James 2, beginning at 15, The Bible says, but if a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, and so he's just using it a natural example. Then he says, even so faith. If it have not works, is dead being alone. And so if a brother or sister is without clothing and they are in need of daily bread and someone just says to them, by faith, go in peace, be ye warm, and be ye filled. James says, you've not accomplished anything. You haven't done anything. You, if you don't, notwithstanding, he said, you don't provide for them the things to be clothed are the things to be fed, amen, are the things to be warmed, amen, what have you done? So if, even so, if faith has no works, amen, then it is dead. Secondly, James illustrates his point by comparing faith without works. Two words of compassion without corresponding acts of compassion. Amen, let's look at that. If we just have words of compassion but no acts of compassion, we are going to find ourselves in trouble without fruit to, to show what our lips are saying. What a fitting analogy. Amen. Dead faith can also be characterized by false compassion. And so James is referencing a cold and miserable, a hungry person, a person who is truly destitute and needy. They are in genuine need of help. This is not a maybe so. This doesn't need a committee to go out and study and see whether or not this is a legitimate need. At just one glance, the average person could see that here is a true need. And he said, but you go to them and just say, go in peace and you be warmed and you be filled. Amen. To this kind of person without doing anything to them, that's heartless. Amen. That's... That's heartless. How could you see someone in that kind of condition 
and just wax all eloquent and with our best stained glass voice, we just say, go in peace. Be you filled and be you warm. They've, they've not had the ability or the privilege to see any acts that are behind that. What a well-chosen analogy because compassion is one of the evidences of a true believer. We're gonna have compassion upon people around uh, the world that, again, I, I understand that we can't solve the world's problems, but we can do something about what's laying at our doorstep or our front door. And so if we need to look with compassion and understand this, as we say often, that but for grace, there go I. Amen. In, in some situations, calamities just land in people's lives, in their families, tragedies strike. It would do us well to remember that today their name is in the headline, but tomorrow it could be mine. Today it's their children that's going through this. Today it's their companion that's going through this. But there's nothing to say that this can't land in my own home, in my own life. And so we have to be very, very careful that we are compassionate. There's a story told of a European queen several centuries ago who left her coach and her driver, her coachman, sitting outside during a horrible winter storm while she went inside a theater and attended a, a show. The drama, uh, so they say, was so heart-wrenching that the queen just sobbed all throughout the entire performance. But when she returned to the carriage, she found that her coachman, while sitting diligently at his post, had frozen to death. And she shed not a tear. But yet a moment ago, she was moved to tears over just a drama, over something that wasn't real, that was going on. People were just play acting out parts. Amen. And now she is face to face with a real tragedy and doesn't shed a tear completely untouched by the real thing in their life, amen, and, and so involved in the other. Can I tell you today that God is looking for a church that can connect themselves to the real situations of our world. If there was ever a day that we needed intercessors to rise in this hour, it is the hour that we're living in right here and now. Amen. When the Bible admonishes us to pray for those that have rule over us and pray for those that are in government, I wonder how seriously we take that admonition. Amen. To pray that God would touch those in Tallahassee, that for us in Florida, for us to pray for those that are, are uh, that are leading this nation in Washington, D.C., that we ought to pray, call their names, if you know those names in prayer, to pray diligently. Our world is in trouble. Amen, not just our nation, our world is in trouble and we need the church to rise and to, and to not just say be well, be well or be healed or, or just to make the right decisions but we need to pray that God would help us to feel the burden for those things that are real. Amen, God help us that we don't become calloused to the world around us. Compassion for our fellow man is one of the fruits in our life. Uh, certainly it should be a fruit in the life of a genuine believer. Jesus spoke to the issue on several occasions using not only words, but he used images as well. Images that uh, make it impossible to misunderstand. For instance, and I, I mentioned this the other service, but for instance, the, uh, the illustration of the Good Samaritan. He made it clear 
that those who belong to him are obligated to help those that are in need. Whether they're friend or stranger, fellow citizen or foreigner, admired or despised, there ought to be something in our life that draws, pulls, amen, that string of compassion in us. It could be us. It could be us. Amen, James, if we move to verse number 18, says, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So James confronts his reader with an uncomfortable truth that faith in Jesus Christ will always result in certain works. Now, now as, I'm trying to figure out how to word this exactly. But now as, as, a, uh, as a, a minister and a pastor in a Pentecostal church that understands and underlines the importance of holiness and separation, really understand me when I say I've lost track of how many times people have said you're trying to be saved by works. What a gross misunderstanding. A gross misunderstanding. Because I don't believe that just holiness in our lifestyle and modesty in our dress, clear and distinct separation between male and female, I do not believe that that is what we do to get saved. That's what we do because we are saved. Amen. And so the process, uh, the process of salvation is clearly defined for us in Scripture. And I believe that we have to follow the plan of salvation. I don't think that you can bake enough apple pies or you can't do enough good deeds in order to merit or gain salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. Those, those ideas are not even in the lens that I'm looking through when I think about salvation and when I think about how salvation affects the rest of our life. It should change how we walk. Amen. I'm not talking about the stride, but I'm just talking about it should change how we walk. It should change how we live. It should change how we talk. It should, ta- it should change the things that we use to entertain ourselves. There's something in that that the Holy Ghost ought to do. Not just something mandated from a pulpit, but something mandated from our heart. Amen. We take the Lord home with us, don't we? Amen. We lay down, we go to sleep with him in our heart, wake up with him in our heart every day. There's some things that the Spirit of the Lord, I'm preaching to people that I am confident. Amen. Some I know absolute, but I am confident that the Spirit of the Lord dealt with you about certain things. Nobody preached about it, for it, against it, but just something maybe you had, you had been doing all your life and you received the Holy Ghost and after a while, something that felt so comfortable, all of a sudden it's a shoe that doesn't fit. Amen. 
And, and, and uh, I don't really understand this, but it just doesn't feel right. And you begin to obey that and walk in that truth. Amen. I'm, I'm going to tell you that we are not trying to be saved by works. That is my, that is my point. But works are a part of our salvific experience. And so it is a result. There's certain actions. There's an obedience to the word of God. It results in particular lifestyles that bears out a fruit of a life that is lived for God. Amen. James is building on, on the previous verse, faith by itself. If it doesn't have works, is dead. Such faith is not really faith at all. Living faith produces good fruit. Amen. And that in and of its nature, that's its purpose. Dead faith does not, not only does not, dead faith cannot. James chooses a powerful example now to illustrate that faith produces actions. He said, you believe that there is one God. James says, you do well. Even the demons also believe and tremble. Amen. Even faith of demons, amen, in the oneness of God produces an action. In their case, the Bible says that they trembled. Amen. The word tremble was commonly used of, uh, as the trembling associated with great fear. Amen. So the statement is very fitting. This is not something taken out of context. He said, you believe there is one God? That's a fitting statement. It speaks directly to the lasting truth. Amen. That was a central part of faith, both to the early church and to the Jewish people. Biblical faith has always been centered around the belief in one true God. Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The devil, the demons in hell believe in that one God and their faith. You say, you're way out here today. No, not as far as you think. Their faith, their belief in that one God, amen, causes them to have some action in their life. The devil believes in one God and trembles. Amen. Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one. Where most Jews fell short was not in obeying the following verse. The verse commands that if you believe that there is one God, amen, uh, then you should follow with certain works. Or in other words, we, we believe Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. But let's keep reading. Verse number 5 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so James has a point. That point is this, that believing in the truth of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 without the obedience to Deuteronomy 6 and 5 is a worthless kind of belief. If we believe in him, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, then he said, then you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, mind, your strength. And so James, James's point is that belief in the truth of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 must be followed by the action of Deuteronomy 6 and 5. Amen. I, and faith without works is defined as fruitless. Genuine faith is going to have fruit. There's going to be something that shows. Now, I'm not saying that we should have fruit that you can prove something to me or fruit that you can prove something to someone else. It's not about that. It's about having something that's just there. An orange tree doesn't feel the need to say, hurry up and produce an orange. I see somebody coming. It's just an orange tree. 
And so it just does what an orange tree does. It bears fruit in certain times. It sheds its leaves in certain times. There is, there is significant evidence that it is a fruit tree, a citrus tree, each and every day of its life. I'm not trying to be silly or insult anybody's intelligence, but we have to understand that genuine faith is going to produce fruit. There's going to be something in our life that's real. In a fruitless life, faith is dead and it's worthless. It does no good to say you believe or you claim to be a follower of this or that if our life doesn't bear evidence of that very thing. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 17, even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. On another occasion in Matthew 21 and 18, the gospel writer shares this story about Jesus. He said, now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And he saw a fig tree in the way, and he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. The scriptural precedent has been set and established by Jesus Christ himself. James has done nothing more than just to line up with what he has watched himself demonstrated by the life of Jesus. When the fig tree claimed to be a fig tree, it got judged by the fruit or the lack thereof. Amen. And so when examined and found not to have that, it was judged unworthy cut down, thrown into the fire because we must be what we say we are. If someone needs prayer and we say we have the Holy Ghost, they don't need a business card of mine. They don't need a church business card. They don't need to say, man, just follow these directions on the back of this car 10 o'clock Sunday, 7.30 Wednesday. <clears throat> they may need what you have proclaimed. Amen. There's one coming after me, John said, who is mightier than I. Amen. That Holy Ghost that's gonna be in you, God has given us the power that we need to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Amen, God has given us that kind of power and so he understands that when we claim this and someone makes that request, we need to be instant in season and out of season and do what the hand of God would lead us to do. James understands uh, to do so is to invite quick judgment on the Lord if we don't have that fruit. So he's writing now to caution the church and, 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 uh, and, and to tell them, don't let this kind of thinking infiltrate your ranks. We need to have the fruit in our lives. We need to have fruit that shows our relationship with God. Amen. I don't want to show with and say with my mouth that I love him and yet my actions speak contrary to that. I want to love him with everything that I have, not just every now and then, but to be true to him. Amen. The spirit of the Lord desires for us to be true to him. And in that truth, 
into that true living of him, there's going to just be things that come about in our life that's going to show. And I believe today that in this house there are many examples of people who have watched the hand of God and the spirit of God bring forth things in your life that changed you from the old person you used to be to the person that you are today. I don't want you to think that it would be being boastful in what I'm about to say, but I think there are sure moments, true, measurable moments in all of our lives where a situation may come up and we find ourselves responding to it in one way and there's a realization in our, in our minds right then that the old me would have handled this a completely different way. Maybe instead of overreacting, we find ourselves saying a little more calm in that approach. And you know what that is? That's growth. That's fruit in your life. That's fruit in your life. Amen. When something comes along and that normally would have just caused ulcers to start bleeding instantly. And you're still concerned, but there's just a peace in your heart. You realize, you know what? There's some fruit growing here. There's some fruit growing here. This is not a statement specific to men because I think to some degree we all, or at least men or women, can suffer from this of being ill-tempered or bad-tempered or... Trying to think of some good, clean words to use here on a Sunday morning. Some just out of control. My brother-in-law has a real unique way of little one-liners he uses to kind of sum people up. And and uh, he called us one time talking about another family member to my wife. And he said, I'm telling you, she's just off the chain. She's gotten loose. She's off the chain. And so some of us, men and women, have had that old ill-tempered nature that we've had to let the Lord help season that because that's not Christ-like. Amen. You, you can please be seated. Just remain seated. If you're working on something and you get so mad and just throw that wrench or throw that hammer or whatever, We've been there, haven't we? I threw a wrench one day years ago, years and years and years ago. I do want to say that. I'm being serious about that because I'm not proud of it. But I threw a wrench and then it dawned on me that was the only half-inch wrench that I owned. So I just felt like that the Lord walked right beside me kind of just looking down, how you feel now, you know raking all through the grass, you know. I felt foolish, and I should have felt foolish because it was foolish. Amen, I feel a lot of conviction in this. <laughs> Apparently a lot of throwers in here. <laughs> well, let's all stand. Why don't we do that? That'd be a, I can't think of a better place to stop all this than right here.
If we keep going, we're gonna have to have an altar call. Lord, let fruit be in our life. Let the spirit of hope rise within us. And you know what the world really, really, truly needs? It needs someone that really is what they profess to be. Not another phony, not, a, not, not another facade, but somebody that will truly be what they say they are. Amen. I wonder if we could just lift our hands together and ask God to seal this word of hope and redemption in our heart here today. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.